0: I had a couple that I was working with one time, and as they came in for about their third or fourth session, I could tell the female partner was upset. And as she began to talk and tell her story at one point, she just broke down and cried and said, why can't I get the love I need from this person? Why can't I get this person to love me the way I need to be loved? And I think that really hits the nail on the head for what we're talking about today, which is the anxious attachment style. Why do people that are anxiously attached feel like so often their partners withhold the love they really desire from them? Okay, we're going to dive in and we're going to talk about anxious attachment. Now, just a couple of things before we get to the meat of the conversation, and that is, first of all, a person who's anxiously attached, it doesn't always show up in the relationship 100% of the time. If they feel connected to their partner, then it's not going to look like they're anxiously attached. But if they get triggered, and there can be all kinds of triggers for an anxious attached person, and it can be real or perceived in terms of those triggers as well. It could be anything from their partner not giving them the sustained eye contact. And so all of a sudden they imagine that their partner doesn't want to be with them. Or maybe their partner pulls away or wants to go out for an evening with their friends. Uh, Maybe they want to take a separate vacation or go hunting with their buddies or take a girl vacation. Any of these things can be triggers, including the partner needing some time alone and the partner just being able to self-soothe that often can be a trigger for an anxiously attached person because their style of soothing is other soothing. They want to soothe through connection. And if they are, are are hooked up with a partner and have a partner that's able to self-soothe, that needs time alone, that needs to think about what's happened and process individually, ruptures that occur in the relationship, that, that, that can often be a trigger for the anxious attachment style as well. And just surely not opening up can be a trigger because the whole anxious attachment style is built on, I want to connect and I need to connect to feel safe in myself, in my body, and feel safe in my relationship. Oftentimes because the anxious attachment style is born from inconsistent parenting. from from either uh, caregivers growing up, which is often the time when we talk about it in terms of attachment. It could also be traumas that may have occurred and nobody was there for them in adolescence. It could be stem from a loss of a parent in adolescence, or it could even come from uh, early relationships, adult relationships in the 20s. Maybe you married young. Maybe you found yourself with a partner that was uh, stepping outside the relationship, uh, either emotionally or physically. That can create a a broken trust that often looks like anxious attachment. And so, when we talk about anxious attachment, what we're talking about is 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 relationships that that caused enough disruption inside the person that they are preoccupied with the relationship itself and so anxious attachment is typically characterized by high anxiety about the relationship and low avoidance meaning they 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 want to merge with their partner they want deep authentic connection in order to make them feel safe again inside themselves and safe in the relationship so by, by high anxiety and low avoidance, what I mean is that you, the person craves this closeness and intimacy. And I don't think crave is too strong of a word there. It, it almost borders on, on obsession in many ways. They're preoccupied of thinking about the relationship, wondering how their partner feels about them. When they've been triggered, it's it's almost crazy making, and this is kind of a way we refer to it, uh, when, when we're doing some trainings and teachings and even when I'll explain it to, to couples I'm working with, it's crazy making in that they can't seem to figure out how to get their partner to love them better, to pay attention to them, to make them feel valued, to make them feel important, to show up for them when they're anxious in a way that soothes and reassures them. And that is crazy making to the anxious attachment partner because they are putting in so much time so much effort so much energy into thinking about this relationship and it's really hard for them to understand why their partner's not doing the same about the relationship so anxious attachment again is characterized by high anxiety and low avoidance high anxiety is this craving for closeness and intimacy the low avoidance means that there are a lot of insecurities and a lot of preoccupations about getting the closeness they desire. And so they want to merge with their partner. They want to be one, they want to feel so connected. And and again, you're gonna hear me say this over and over and over, so that they feel safe within themselves, safe within their own body, and safe within the relationship, secure. Safe within themselves, and that they are protected from those triggers. They are protected from the things that, that that send them danger cues, danger signals that the relationship might be in distress. And so their body can be at ease and relaxed because they feel their partner is going to be able to protect them from those dangerous cues. And they also feel secure, secure from threats, secure from uh, outside forces or even inside forces in the relationship that might pull them apart. So there's lots of pressure that's put on the partner that is not anxiously attached to be able to reassure, to be able to soothe, to be able to provide that that soothing, comforting balm, if you will, when the anxious person does get triggered. So oftentimes the pursuing partner, the way they respond to these triggers, the way they respond to their their threats, the perceived threats in their relationship, is they try to turn up the heat. Oftentimes, it comes across as criticizing, complaining. Um, uh, It might come across as demanding. Oftentimes, it really does. Um, But they're pursuing. That's why we call them oftentimes pursuers. When we talk about anxiously attached in a relationship, we refer to them sometimes as pursuers because – The function it's serving is they're pursuing their partner in order to get the closeness they desire. They're pursuing their partner because in many ways what they're doing is protesting. They're protesting the perceived threat in the relationship and the distance they're feeling from their partner. So it's really hard sometimes to look at someone who is anxiously attached and to be able to make sense of what's happening. And the one thing I absolutely love about attachment theory in and of itself is that through that lens, these kinds of behaviors make perfect sense. It makes perfect sense to understand that when we feel like there's a threat to our relationship, we protest. And how an anxiously attached person protests is they pursue their partner. They turn up the heat. They complain. They criticize. They're doing everything in their power to to be able to pull their partner back to them and create this sense of safety, to create a sense of security within themselves and within the relationship. And I love how the attachment lens is able to provide a a frame for that. It it really helps us be able to understand those behaviors and what those are really like. Now, I also wanna say too that, that anxious attachment style Um, comprises only about 20% of the general population. So we know that roughly about 50% of most uh, citizens in most communities the world over have a secure type of of attachment, meaning they feel comfortable with closeness. uh, They can reach out to their partner in times of needs. uh, They have the skills to repair the ruptures, which creates more trust more resilience within the relationship these types of things we know about 20 percent have an anxious attachment style and then i'll just add because we'll focus on another podcast for the avoidant attachment style but about 25 percent are avoidant and then finally the remaining three to five percent have what we call a disorganized or anxious avoidant attachment style and we'll talk about that at some point later. But really, th- this is uh, not a huge portion of the population we're talking about. And yet oftentimes anxious attachment styles are attracted to avoidant attachments. There's a steadiness. There's a calm there. There's a reassurance that in the beginning really attracts them to these types of, of personalities and characteristics and attachment, uh, attachment styles that really mesh well in the beginning until they become very comfortable with themselves. Until sort of the bloom is off the rose, they've been together, they're firmly attached now, somewhere between 18 and 24 months into the relationship. And what was once steady and calm and reassuring now begins to trigger the anxious attachment person. And now those become perceived threats. Now those take a turn and they look different because the person may be beginning to feel that I'm not getting what I need in this relationship. And again, it can be really crazy making for the anxiously attached person. They begin to feel anxious all over their body. When I sit with couples and especially the anxiously attached and I say, where are you feeling that? And they'll say in my stomach or in my chest, or just all over. And it's almost as if their whole body is in a panic. They can't get their body to relax. They can't get their body to to feel safe in themselves. And the only tools they have at that time are to pursue their partner relentlessly in order to get the soothing and the comfort they need. So that's a little bit about the triggers, uh, how attachment style is usually born um, the anxious attachment, how it shows up in terms of, of the sense of craving closeness and intimacy and with the, with the insecurities also bubbling up inside them as well. And so what I want to focus more on, on the meat of today's, uh, discussion is to talk about the five different areas of a relationship where anxious attachment style can show up. Because these five areas are are really important in the life of the couple because almost every interaction will have one, if not all of these five areas to it. So the first one is perception of closeness and intimacy. So at any given time, what is the desire for both partners and the perception of both colors for how much closeness is acceptable and, and intimacy is acceptable? Versus how much distance is acceptable in the relationship. Now, to be fair, all couples, even securely attached couples, go through a period where they're negotiating this. I remember when I was first married to my wife, some twenty-three, some odd years ago. Uh, it seemed like we did everything together. Saturdays were oh, let's run errands together, and oh, let's go out to eat together, and oh, we're just so in love, and the world is so happy, and the colors are so brighter, and. And the birds are chirping, and isn't the life wonderful? (laughs) And and obviously, there was some rose-colored glasses there. Uh, But that's great. That's great that all couples, I hope all couples, have that sense early in the relationship because what they're doing is they're deepening the attachment bond with one another. But it seemed like we were doing everything together. And so that sense of closeness and intimacy was acceptable then. As we continued on in our relationship, we had to negotiate, well, how much distance is acceptable? How do we come back and reunite and, and reconnect when there has been some distance? So this is a negotiation that all, all couples have to work through to some degree. But this is certainly one of the areas that, that an anxious attachment person uh, has to work through and is, and is affected in their relationship. Another area is the ability to communicate emotions and needs and to understand the emotions and needs of their partner. So, another term for this is emotional intelligence. You've probably heard that term and there's a lot of overlap in this, but the idea behind is, can I pick up those cues from my partner? Can my partner communicate what they're really needing from me in a way that I can hear it? And can I recognize that as as a call to distress about the relationship, as well as a need for my partner and a repair attempt. And so there's lots that goes into being able to communicate our emotions and needs and to be able to stand those needs and emotions of my partner. Oftentimes with a insecure attachment style, and here I'm talking about the anxiously attached, the avoidant attached or the disorganized attachment, what happens is those needs don't often come out in vulnerable ways that our partner can hear them. They can come out as demands or in the avoidantly attached individual, it may not come out at all. Those needs are deeply, deeply buried because oftentimes the way an insecure attachment style was created is by somebody not showing up either consistently or not showing up for you at all. And so when you're a kid or when you're a, an adolescent or even a, a in previous marriages, what do you do with those needs if the person there is not responding to them? Well, oftentimes we jettison them. Oftentimes we push them to a dark corner because to, 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 to be able to express those needs, And to even be able to experience them only causes more pain. So those become very painful places that we tuck into dark corners of our sense of self. And so being able to communicate our emotions and needs is actually a really complex thing to do in relate in relationships. We often don't think about it being that complex, but it really is, especially when you consider roughly 67% of communication in attached partners. Is nonverbal. Let me repeat that. 67% of communication in firmly attached partners is nonverbal. That means that our brain is picking up and processing and experience our facial expressions from our partner, our body postures, and the tone of voice far more than the actual words our partner is expressing to us and so the ability to communicate and express our emotions and the be able to pick that up from our partner is a series of complex moves that that we're constantly refining and trying to mature uh, into as we continue to develop throughout our lives. So that's a second area of a relationship that anxious attachment informs. Uh, the third area is the style of responding to conflict. And this is this is sort of as a couples therapist this is the bread and butter, because oftentimes when I uh, take on a new couple, the style of responding to conflict has created cycles for them. And the anxious style of responding to conflict is very different than the avoidance style. And it's often creative negative patterns of interactions or negative cycles. And so the, the defensive structures have taken over. Uh, there are far more for blocks and protective strategies that are showing up in the relationship than there are vulnerable moments of connection. And so the different style of responding really becomes to dominate oftentimes the interactions between the partners. The fourth area is the expectations or the internal models that we hold of ourselves and others in a relationship. So Those early experiences we had with our our caretakers, our parents, whether they be a grandmother and grandfather, whether they be our biological parents or whomever it was that predominantly raised us, what are those expectations that were laid down early in our life that informed our expectations, what we implicitly expect of ourselves and our partner in close interactions, in our attachment bonds? And I say implicit because this isn't something that's always put into words. It's something that we hold deep down as a sort of a a implicit model that we tend to act out and, and make assumptions on. And we have to reconcile with the external reality we face when we do get into relationships. And so this implicit model, the internal models we hold of self and other in relationships, are deeply affected by our attachment style, whether it's insecure or a type of of, um, uh, secure, uh, excuse me, whether it's secure or a type of insecure attachment. And finally, the last area, and this is came a little bit later in the attachment research, but that is our ability for introspection. That is our ability to be able to, Fonagy calls this the, the reflective function. How easy is it for us to be able to reflect on our own thoughts and feelings, to be able to challenge our own thoughts and feelings, to think about the way we think about things um, in a way that allows us to make adjustments to our own thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. And for the anxiously attached person, this is not an easy thing to do. This actually is difficult because so much of their focus is on their partner so much of their anxious attachment style that rises up in their body and preoccupies them about the relationship, they're a lot focused on what their partner is doing and not doing. So oftentimes when I'm working with couples and especially someone who's anxiously attached, I'll ask them, don't describe your partner's behavior, but rather, can you tell me the impact that has on you? Can you tell me what is that like for you? Because I want them to begin to be able to try to gain some insight and some introspection and turn inwards a little bit so they can begin to experience more of the way that the anxiously attached style feels in their own body. So those are the five different areas of a relationship that the anxious attachment style uh, can inform. It's the same thing with a, a avoidant attachment style, the same five areas. And so what I want to do now is kind of go through each one of those five areas and talk about what an anxious attachment style might look like. So the first one is that perception of closeness and intimacy. And so as I talked about before, um, this is an insecure style of attachment that's often preoccupied They are worried about rejection and abandonment, most often because their style of parenting they received was so inconsistent. They, in one moment, their parent might be there for them and the next they might not. If they were in distress, they might have to deal with that alone or they might actually have somebody come and talk them through it. But there was no consistency there for the anxious attached person to be able to lay down a a internal model that says oh this when when i feel this way this can happen and i can be assured that somebody's going to be there for me instead the model that gets laid down is when i feel this way i don't know who the hell is going to show up for me I don't know if I reach out, somebody's going to be there or if somebody's not going to be there. And I because I can't predict that, it keeps me in a constant state of, of anxiousness about whether I'm going to be able to get my needs met. So that perception of closeness and intimacy is often a preoccupation about rejection and abandonment. And then when when the anxious attachment person is triggered, it hyperactivates those attachment needs. One example I think of is actually my dog. I love my dog, it's a great dog. Uh, this is a dog we got after my, my uh, old dog died, which was the best dog in the world. It's the dog my wife and I got when we first got married. Uh, he lived a long time, 18 years we had him. He he had several moves with us to several different states and back, and and two kids came into the picture. I mean, he was the best dog. But after he passed, it felt like there was a void, so my wife and certainly my sons were ready for something else. And so we got this new dog. We called him Ranger, and, and he really is a, a, a beautiful dog, a mix of, of several different kinds of dogs. But I, I kid you not, this dog is anxiously attached. And I know that because his primary attachment figure is my wife, and it doesn't matter how many times she rejects him, it doesn't matter how many times she scolds him, he always comes back needing reassurance. And he will he will sit in her lap, and he will get up in her face. He has no sense of personal boundaries, whatever, and he's constantly pursuing her for closeness, for connection. For, for petting, for reassurance that everything's okay. And no matter how much she gives to him, which is a lot, by the way, she does a fantastic job of trying to soothe him, but no matter how much she gives him, he keeps coming back for more. That's a little bit like what an anxious attachment style is in our, in our partners. If you're with somebody or if you're listening to this and you feel like this kind of describes you, that's a, that's a great example, I think. It's like you keep coming back to the well, drawing more water and more water and more water because there never seems to be enough to fill you up inside, enough of that closeness and intimacy. And if there's too much distance in relationship, that can absolutely trigger and activate your attachment needs. And so you end up pursuing your partner because you're feeling that distance. All right, let's move on to the second one, the ability to communicate emotions and needs and to understand the needs and emotions of the the partner. So anxiously attached uh, partners tend to dominate the conversation a lot. They can be highly emotional. They can come across as argumentative, accusing, combative, oftentimes controlling. But again, if we look at this through the lens of attachment, I want us to be very clear here. This makes perfect sense why their behaviors are that way. And more often than not, their communication styles are going to be focused on what their partner is not doing or doing wrong. And so they're not really in tune with what they're needing, and they're not often acting out of those needs in a vulnerable way that can actually increase the chances of of getting those needs met. What they're doing is they're using their anxiety to let their partner know, hey, you're not getting this right for me. I need to be loved differently. I need to be loved in, in a different way. And I'm trying to tell you how to do it. Why can't you respond to that? Why are you so resistant and oftentimes withholding to give me the lo- love I want? You say you love me. And, and I remember a time when you acted like you love me and you do this and you do that. And they can give you a litany of all the stories of the ways that you've shown up for them in the past, and then turn right around and give give a, a litany of all the other stories of when you weren't there for them. And it feels like they're going back through what created that anxious style in the first place. I can't predict when you're going to show up for me. I can't predict when you're going to love me. I hang on to every single word and I can't predict and get that to be consistent for me. Of course, we can all see where the partner might feel like that is an unreasonable expectation on them and in the relationship as a whole. But this is where the anxious attached person is coming from. And again, I love this because if we look at this through the lens of attachment, this makes perfect sense why they're, why they're responding this way. And this is their way of protesting too much distance in the relationship. All right. Let's talk about the style of responding to conflict. This is the third area I had walked through. That that anxious attachment styles show up in in close bonded relationships. Their style their style of responding is often to cook, cook, I can't talk today. Their style of responding is often to push for a quick resolution to conflict. So the anxiously attached person often wants to resolve the issue right here, right now. We don't need time. We don't need space. Let's work it out right here in this moment. Uh, They might be sensitive to their partner's actions and moods. Um, So they're really scanning their partner and looking for any perceived threats that might create more distance, that that might send them signals that the relationship is unraveling even further. And of course, their style is to show up and to resolve the conflict immediately. So, again, you heard me earlier talk about oftentimes they are pursuers. And so they're pursuing their partner to try to get that love and reassurance. And I I like the phrase turning up the heat because that's kind of what it looks like from the outside is they're putting pressure on their partner to be able to respond to them in a way that feels comforting and soothing and gives them the safety and security they really need. And they're going to turn up the heat on their partner to be able to try to get that from them. And one of the ways they do that is to consistently pursue their partner. They don't want their partner to have time to process. They don't want their partner to be able to shut down. And when they do, that's a a threat signal to them because that means their partner might say, you're too much. You're too much for me. And this relationship is too much. So the more they can overwhelm their partner with communication, the more they can try to point out to their partner what they're getting wrong, what they're not doing right, the more their partner might just wake up and get it. And I see this all the time in my couples, because a lot of times what the anxious person is doing is they're trying to communicate as much as they can to their partner. Hey, wake up. Don't you see this? Don't you see what's happening here? And if their partner can just get it and I'll snap my fingers, if their partner can just get it in the moment, oh, everything will be okay. They just need to be able to get it. And so their style of responding to conflict is often to pursue, to turn up the heat, to put pressure on their partner, and to to get their partner to just get it. They want to be seen, they want to be heard, they want to be understood. And if they just are relentless enough, their partner's going to wake up and get it. All right, let's talk about the internal working model that's what it's called an attachment but as i said earlier this expectation the early template that was laid down of self and other in relationship and oftentimes the anxiously attached person they will they will be preoccupied they will ruminate about past hurts and disappointments It's oftentimes for them not in the past sometimes we'll call these attachment injuries where there was a really significant moment that they needed their partner and their partner was not there for them. Uh, But it can be any kind of past hurt and disappointment, Uh, but they will often ruminate on those. Uh, They often want to merge with their partner and feel so close and connected because what they're longing for is that sense of peace and safety in their own body. Uh, they, They don't accept their partner's autonomy or distance, oftentimes it triggers them and is seen as an attachment threat. And they also, they may hold grudges. um, And as I said before, have a little bit of, uh, not a lot of insight into the role and the conflict. What they don't see oftentimes is that the more they turn up the heat, the more they pursue their partner, the more they criticize and demand and complain and demand, the more often it pushes their partner away. And they don't see that. They they think I'm trying to provide my partner with the information they need to hear so they can actually come closer. But they don't see their role oftentimes in that cycle that we've talked about. All right. Lastly, I want to talk about, as I said before, the um, internal function or the reflective function, their ability to look inside ourselves and and be introspective and and think about the way we think about things to be able to come away from a conflict and say you know that didn't go very well i wonder what i could do differently that is a really valuable skill and not everybody has that skill especially some of the insecure attachment styles avoidant or anxious or disorganized that's a skill that needs to be worked on and built a little bit, that reflective function, being able to think about the way we think, being able to challenge our expectations about a relationship, being able to challenge our, our own style of what we want and need in a relationship. So sometimes um, uh, reflective function, it can be very difficult for the attachment person to stay on topic, Oftentimes, again, they they will attribute the negative intentions to their partner. So in their, their role of pursuing, which is a protest to the threat they're feeling in a relationship, they will tell themselves a story about what their partner's intentions are. Now, keep in mind, they might not have any idea about what their partner's really thinking or feeling, but this is the story they're gonna tell their partner and they're going to let them know, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're feeling because it it is a protective maneuver and it's a protective strategy, a move they have that allows them to focus less on the anxiety and insecurity they're feeling and more on their partner. Because again, if they can just get their partner to engage with them, to show up and be emotionally available and responsive, then that's all they're really wanting in the first place. But they're telling themselves a story about where, why they think their partner is doing what they're doing. So, you know, the feelings are often caused by the, the partner that does not soothe them in the presence, as I said, doesn't is not responsive to them in the moment. And so they'll attribute those per, perceptions, uh, 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 those events that are caused by negative intentions in their partner. This is a story. This is a story they're making up about their partner and why it would even, why their partner would even remotely not want to be able to meet their need. And so again, it takes them away from the feelings internally and allows them to focus on their partner because that's actually safer for them. So that reflective function is more difficult uh, sometimes to get an anxious partner to, to just sit with that anxiety and to begin to be able to reflect on what's happening inside themselves and to to sit with it long enough to be able to understand the needs underneath that anxious attachment style. All right, so we've talked about the five different areas of a relationship that an anxious attachment style uh, impacts or can rub up against or has to negotiate with in any particular relationship. And especially an attached relationship. I shouldn't say when I when I go out to a checkout counter and the clerk is checking me out, I'm I'm not walking through these five areas. If if that person's rude to me, there's no attachment bond there. I just simply say, okay, well, you're having a bad day. Let me get my groceries and go on. But if I come home and my wife uses the same look or the same tone, boom, game on. All of a sudden, that's an attachment relationship, and these areas show up in how we're going to handle conflict how I can reflect on myself, the expectations I have, the internal expectations, um, how I perceive closeness and intimacy, and my ability to be able to communicate my wants and needs and my ability to be able to repair. So I hope you found this helpful today. We are going to do another episode on the avoidant attachment style. So we'll book in this nicely. We'll begin to talk about in the next episode what that looks like. And, and again, how that creates cycles in the relationship where you have this demand withdraw this push and pull, this pursue and withdraw cycle that can so often come to dominate the relationship. And when I'm working with couples, one of the very first things we do is begin to target and de-escalate those cycles so that both partners can begin to sit with the more vulnerable emotions that are are coming up and engage with them so they can be able to reach down and communicate better their wants and needs to one another so that both partners can show up in those places that they they have not allowed themselves to go because of the traumas and the hurts that created those insecure attachment styles in the first place. Be sure and follow us on Facebook. Be sure and follow us on Instagram. And I thank you all for listening. I really appreciate it. And we'll see you next time. Take care.